The Red Sox front office search hasn't exactly gone as planned so far for the team, but are there any candidates in play that should really be considered? Join me on today's episode of Locked On Red Sox, where we discuss all of that and more. You are Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Red Sox, your daily podcast on all things Boston Red Sox, where our emotions really go up and down and everything in between, depending on what that team in Boston decides to make us feel that day. Whatever emotions you're feeling, I'm feeling it too. So you should definitely be tuning into the show Monday through Friday on your favorite podcast feed. And don't forget also to download the SiriusXM app where you can get the home broadcast of every game so you don't have to miss a single pitch of Red Sox baseball and in 2024 hopefully you won't want to miss a single pitch as it hopefully will be a much better season than we had in 2023. So excited to be here with you on another episode of the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So excited to bring you another episode of Locked on Red Sox. I do have a special guest with me on the show today. If you are at all active on Red Sox Twitter, then you know who he is. He's super talented in the podcast space as well as is the social media manager of Sox Prospects. And I can't say enough how much knowledge and how much talent this person has, especially when it comes to giving people really good insight into the world of Red Sox prospects. So we're going to be diving into some prospect talk later on in the show today. Ed Hand, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. That was what a what a nice intro. Thank you. That's that's all really nice of you to say, Gabby. I'm happy. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no problem. I'm so happy to have you. I always enjoy our interactions on Twitter. We've been following each other for a while, and you've been able to do a podcast with me in the past. So I was happy to kind of get you on here and just hear your insight about a lot of things going on, because obviously the team is in a tough spot right now where they didn't finish the end of the 2023 season as they as an organization really had hoped they would there were a lot of different factors that went into the 2023 season that they had between injuries and just a lot of different things going on and um you know just some question marks being left in the front office now with kind of the abrupt it appeared firing of Heim Bloom i kind of thought that if they were going to make that move that they would at least wait till the season was over to do it, or they would maybe give him another off season with a little bit of a different situation with more money to be able to work with, to see kind of what he could do. Um, so I first want to get your initial thoughts on the firing of Bloom and kind of what you feel like led to the Red Sox as an organization making that decision. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I, it's interesting because I remember last year in 2022, the Red Sox uh, front office came out really quickly that Cora and Bloom were going to be back next year. Um, 
And then this year, when questions of that started coming towards the end of August, when, you know, the wheels kind of started falling off, they didn't really confirm that. So you could start sort of thinking about it more. And then I think it was, what, like September 12th, they just kind of announced it middle of the day. And it was like, I was surprised, but not really. It was like, I, I like... It was a couple of trade deadlines in a row that were underwhelming that kind of pissed the team off a little bit um, where it just didn't see. It seemed like there was a real disconnect between that. And I I think he did a good job with what most would say the assignment was, which was rebuilding the farm, modernizing the, the mechanisms down there, kind of more behind the scenes stuff. Um, but... As far as the big league club went, um, the team was just kind of teetering on irrelevance. Um, I think Mookie Betts coming back into town uh, with L.A. It was more Dodgers fans and then the Yankee series is coming up and they're selling tickets for a dollar. It's just not there. If anything, Fenway Sports Group is motivated by butts in the seats, by the dollars that they make. And the team is sort of just starting to fall out of that. So while Bloom may have done a very good job, and I do think he did a good job with the minor league system, the major league product was just irrelevant and they weren't really able to make any splashes. Um, You know, you hear some stories coming out that people knew kind of behind the scenes, like that whole thing with Chris Sale, that there was a deal for him, like to go to Texas and that to get under the luxury tax and they didn't do it. And, you know, just some other things. And, you know, like you don't want to trash the... GM while he's active or, you know, GM equivalent. Uh, But I think that there was a feeling that he needed to win the trade by a lot. He had whatever his scoring system was with it, and he needed to not just make a good trade, but really win the trade. And you're just not going to, you're not always going to get that. Sometimes you have to make a move that is going to help right now and you don't worry about it like you know like okay what if this guy turns out to be a really good player you don't you don't worry about it as much um and i think that he was a bit too you know i think that if you, you there there are ways that you can um um like phrase it i think that he was too disciplined in his own like what he decided was his way um and he couldn't be flexible with that. And it's very hard in a city like Boston to just not make a move so many times. Yeah. At the trade deadline too, the Red Sox were in a pretty good spot with the playoffs and, you know, making a run. Um, they were only a couple of games out of a wild card spot at the point of the trade deadline. So I think from a fan perspective, people were wondering why didn't he do more to improve this team at the trade deadline. And I particularly pointed to um, just the fact that that pitching staff blatantly was so fatigued by the end of the season because so many guys were overused. Um, And I was hoping for just some more reinforcements um, from a pitching standpoint. So I've been talking about this on the show, how I think that trade deadline was kind of the final straw where the front office, you know, looked at the situation and said, this is just not working anymore. We need somebody who's going to be willing to be more aggressive at the major league level. Um, So that being said, obviously there's been a number of candidates who have turned down the opportunity, people not wanting to interview people, not wanting the job. And obviously with the amount of turnover that's taken place in this Red Sox front office, um, you know, recently, 
I wouldn't want the job either if I'm looking at that and saying, well, I'm going to come in and do my job and then they're going to let go of me. Like if I was doing that as an evaluation process for any job, I wouldn't want to take the job because I would want to know that my job is secure. But obviously there's been a lot of names thrown out out there. Are there any candidates in particular that are still in play that kind of stand out to you that could be a fit to take over Heim's job? Yeah, there are three that I've been a little more, I guess, excited about than other ones. There's some names like Neil Huntington or uh, the guy from Pittsburgh that traded, uh, like, you know, like the entire team's future for Chris Archer. And then, you know, Archer went back to the Rays like two years later that I was kind of like, please no. But um, I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind is Eddie Romero, who's been an assistant GM uh, for years with the Red Sox organization. He's had a lot to do with the international signings that they've got, Xander Bogarts, Rafi Devers, uh, more recently, Brian Mayo. Um, You know, he's a very seasoned uh, person within the organization. He makes a lot of sense to me because of the fact that you're not really getting to pick as much staff as you might elsewhere. Um, Alex Cora is going to be the manager regardless. Alex Cora is going to have a say within the process. And that's something that if you are a, um, you know, if you're coming from an outside organization, that that plays a role. Like you want to be able to bring some of your own guys in. And that's a non-factor for him because they're all his guys anyway. These are all people that he's been working with for years. So he knows everybody. He knows the organization. He's well-respected within it. Um, he he makes a lot of sense to me. After after that, um, I actually, one of the names that's come up is somebody that you're going to know if you're a Red Sox fan, you know, predating uh, like 2013, uh, Craig Breslow. Um who I forget the exact role. He was doing some kind of a pitching development role with the Cubs, but he really turned a lot of these mediocre relievers into absolute studs. And, you know, like, it's like, a, I, I don't know the analytics of it or anything, but he clearly has a good eye for that. It was widely known as one of the smartest men in baseball when he was a pitcher. And has, that reputation hasn't gone anywhere. Yale graduate, I think it was like, what was he like bioengineering or like some kind of neuro thing? Like just to, just to really like the he's the kind of guy that if he wasn't playing baseball, he'd be like a brain surgeon or something. Yeah, right. um, he's a really smart per- human being. Exactly. Exactly. And he still lives in Newton. Like even with the Cubs, he didn't move to Chicago or anything. His family's still in Newton. So if somebody's going to be coming, you know, you know how we've heard a lot of, you know, like, oh, family concerns, like John Daniels, um, the former uh, president of the Rangers was like, well, I'd like to, but family concerns, I don't want to move to Boston. And that's that's come up a few times. That's not going to be the case with Breslow. Um, so there's him. And then uh, of the other ones, I, I kind of like that, Levine. I don't know a ton about him, but the Twins have been like, I know that they kind of get, um, they get spat on a little bit because they're the AL Central and everything, but they've been a pretty competitive team. They've done a good job of combining major league signings with developing from within. Um, and, you know, he was like the second in command there. Also, I just like that his name is Thad of the names that are available. It's There's a lot of uh, puns for that. So, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, I don't know, like... It's so funny because we talk about executives like they're players sometimes. And it's like this, yeah. it's like we don't have a scouting report for these guys. We don't know what they're going to do with like a big budget or the pressure cooker that is Fedway. We really don't. I don't think people knew what Bloom was going to be other than that he came from Tampa. We knew with Dombrowski it was a little different because he's been around for such a long time. But especially when it's guys that haven't been in the big chair before, we really don't know 
what it's going to be. We can kind of just guess and play off of our own biases. So that's uh, that, that's where I'm at with it. And I'll just be, I'll be really happy when they make that decision. We can start talking about a little more about who who they can actually bring in, what the offseason is going to look like. Yeah, I know. I'm just so ready for them to be done with this process because we've just been hearing so many names and it's just a big revolving door of candidates being considered or being brought in. Um, I like a lot of what you said. I think from for different reasons, those guys you mentioned could provide value for this organization. But either way, I think this whole thing to me shows that the Red Sox as an organization are serious and they do want to win and they want to improve that major league roster to the point where they can be competitive again and be fighting for um, a playoff spot. So at least they're sending some sort of message by doing all of that because the message to me that the team had and the goal as an organization was pretty unclear to me really for the last couple of seasons. So I'm glad that they made a move that can at least give us some insight into what they're thinking about doing. But coming up, I want to discuss um, just some big offseason priorities. Maybe there's a dark horse player or two that Ed here thinks um, the Red Sox should sign that nobody's talking about. That's coming up next. Are you ever in a pinch to get last minute tickets for anything? I know I am constantly scrambling. I have friends who like to make plans last minute and they'll text me the night before and say, hey, let's go to the Red Sox game tomorrow or I want to go to this concert this weekend. If you're in a pinch and you have friends like mine, check out game time for all of your ticket needs. I promise you they will find you the best prices and better seats because I used game time recently to purchase tickets for my fiance to the 50 cent concert, who is his favorite artist of all time. And it was his last tour. So I wanted to make sure that he was able to get to that tour. And I use game time for the tickets and they gave me the best price that I saw on any other ticket site. And we had great seats and it was a great experience. So head to game time Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's easy to just say that they guarantee the lowest price, but this actually does because I'm always looking for good deals. So game time has you covered and Sirius XM also has you covered. If you don't want to miss a single pitch of Red Sox baseball, just download the app, search Red Sox, and it's really easy. And you can get the home broadcast of every game straight to your feed. So you don't have to miss a single pitch. And honestly, I mean, with all those uh, comebacks that the Red Sox like to make during the season sometimes, you definitely don't want to miss them. So head to SiriusXM today. And speaking of the 2024 season, there are definitely priorities that the Red Sox need to address, particularly with their pitching staff. It was just blatantly obvious that that was just a downfall for the team in 2023 but ed i'd love to hear your thoughts on that um and who are some of you know the pitchers that you think could be a good fit that are available via free agency this offseason yeah it's uh, it, it's a it, it, it's not a desirable position to be in right now with the red Sox. they have the rotation as it's set up 
I think Brian Bayo is a solid number three starter, but if he's going into the season as your number one or your number two, something went horribly wrong. Um, you've got Chris Sale, who I know it's been said is starting opening day, but opening day starter is more of a symbolic thing. It doesn't mean that they're the ace or anything. He's the de facto leader of it because he's a veteran, but you... And, you know, like 2018, 2017 seasons were incredible, but you can't depend on him to to be your guy out there every night. You can't you can't ask him to be Chris Sale from eight years ago. It's just not it's not in the cards. And then you've got like four potential number five starters. I think any combination of Pavetta, um, Cutter Crawford, Tanner Houck, maybe Garrett Whitlock, if you want to give that another chance. Um, those guys are all like viable number five starters but you're missing your number one and your number two. And unfortunately guys that are really quality number one starters aces, they don't hit free agency. They get extended before that. And if the team can't afford to extend them, they trade them and the team that they get traded to extends them. So a guy like Jarrett Cole is a unicorn just in him even hitting free agency to begin with. That's why the Yankees ditched out as much money. More often, you're going to see more like Luis Castillo, who got traded from the Reds and then immediately got, I think it was a five-year extension with the Mariners when he got dealt there. Um, But this year, there is one guy that could be that potential number one ace, and that's that's Yamamoto coming out of Japan because he's – I think he's 25, 26. He's won three consecutive, the Japanese equivalent of the Cy Young Award, um, a a few triple crowns there. Um, Just the best Japanese pitching prospect, pure pitching prospect to come to the States since you, Darvish. Um, And Darvish has been, you know, a number one for, he's in his late 30s now, so it's like not, he's not what he used to be, but he's had a very long, very solid career and he's been that number one, number two. And, you know, Yamamoto might even be better. You don't know for certain. He could be Daisuke. Probably won't be Kayagawa, who was the Yankees kind of brought in to try to counteract uh, uh, when the Red Sox signed Daisuke, and he just didn't do very well. But he's the kind of guy that, like, worst case scenario, you're looking at, like, a Hiroki Kuroda, who was very solid for a bit. Um, I, I guess my comp, and it's really hard to make comps with guys that haven't been pitched in the U.S., but if you guys remember Masahiro Tanaka from the Yankees for a while, I think it's somebody like that who you can put at the top of your rotation and kind of just kind of just let him go. Um, there are some concerns about his size, and obviously he hasn't pitched in the States yet. That can be different. It's uh, you're pitching every five days rather than every six days. But just if you're talking pure potential and pure talent level, this is a guy that doesn't hit free agency very often so you've got him you need another guy though you can't just sign the one guy there because then you know you're using Brian Bayo as your number two or something not ideal and I like Bayo not ideal right now at this point in his career so there are a few other options there there's Aaron Nola from the Phillies who's just been a workhorse for the last few years um He's very good. I I don't have a problem with Aaron Nola if you're signing him to be your number two. The thing is that he's probably going to be getting his reputation is more of a number one ace type. So he's he's going to be getting a lot of money. And the, the question there is, do you pay for the reliable innings and get like number three? Do you pay for a number one and get number three performance? Because I think that's what you're signing up for, which is fine. It's expensive, though. Um there's Blake Snell on the Padres, who led baseball at ERA this year. Um, he's an interesting one, because there's a good chance that he's going to win the NL Cy Young Award, 
but this was also the most innings I think he's ever thrown in his career. He had like 180 or something like that. So he's a guy that, you know, there are arm history problems there and the control isn't that great. I believe he led the National League in walks this year. So he doesn't give up a lot of hits, but there are still guys that get on base. Um, so he's he's interesting and he's like, you know, like if they signed him, I wouldn't be like, oh, no, I can't believe they got this guy. But he's not somebody that I, I think is as reliable as what they need. Um, there's, you know, there's also um, uh, Montgomery on the Rangers, who has really upped his stock this year. Jordan Montgomery um, got traded to the Rangers from the Cardinals at the deadline and just kind of carried them there in the ALCS now. Um, you know, they lost some real, they traded for Max Scherzer also, and he kind of did what I think they expected Scherzer to do, which is like just being a rock in that rotation. Um, but he's he's interesting because I think he's raised his value a bit. I think he's going to get a much bigger deal now having pitched so well in a playoff run, having the pedigree of coming from the Yankees. Um, so he's going to, I think that if it was prior to the playoffs, the Red Sox would have been more interested in him, but his price has gone up so much that you, it's almost like, you know, like, do you want to get into a bidding war for him when there are higher priorities? A uh, couple of other guys, Eddie Rodriguez, maybe uh, could come back as that number three guy. He's very familiar with Boston. Kind of a, a, a strange run he's had with the Tigers, missing time. Um, but he was good this year. He was very good this year. And, you know, fans like it when players return. He's proven that he can handle it here. Um He's probably going to opt out of his deal with the Tigers. So that that's another guy to keep an eye on. Um, and then there's sort of a drop-off after that. This is not the best free agency class. Um, but they could potentially trade for somebody also, like you're, you know, like a Corbin Burns, or if the uh, you know, if the Guardians decide to move on from Shane Bieber, there's a chance the Mariners. Mariners need hitting. They've got a bunch of pitchers. They need hitting. Maybe, maybe you see somebody like George Kirby or Logan Gilbert becomes available. And then Red Sox have some excess offense to trade. Maybe they can find a match there. But filling in those two spots in the pitching rotation, that's the biggest need this year. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been such a theme for a while that the Red Sox just don't have an ace. And it's really, really come to bite them because – we saw just how behind compared to other pitching staffs they were as a whole. And I agree with you on Bayo. He's a good pitcher, and I think his development has been going well. But he's definitely not an ace right now. I think he eventually has that potential later on in his career if he continues to develop and progress the way that he is. But they cannot go into the 2024 season thinking he is that guy because there are definitely still some things he needs to continue to grow on in order to be that guy. Um, but obviously people throw around names of players that they'd love to see in a Red Sox uniform. Are there any players in general, whether that be a pitcher or a position player that maybe you think could be a fit that nobody's really talking about? Yeah, there's one guy, I think he's not being as talked about for two reasons. One, he's not a pitcher and two, he's not technically a free agent yet. Um, and that's Whit Merrifield from the Blue Jays, who uh, played most of his career in Kansas City. He has, I think it's an $18 million mutual option that I could see him declining because he had kind of a lousy, he was having a lousy year when he got traded there, but bounced back very nicely, uh, made the all-star team. He's not somebody that you think about as, you know, like a superstar, 
but he does a lot of things well. He plays second base. He can play the outfield. He's good at both of them. He's fast. He'll steal bases. He'll hit the occasional home run. More of like a pesky singles doubles hitter. But he, I think he hit 11 home runs this year. I think he's hit up to 18 in the past. A um, little bit on the older side, like a veteran at this point. But they need glue guys like that. They need somebody, especially a right-handed bat, that can kind of, you can just put in every day at multiple positions, and he'll just give you good at bats. He can do a lot of things. Use Just a very useful veteran. And I think that that's the kind of player, especially with second base being something of a question right now, especially with there being a lot of outfielders, left-handed hitting outfielders. They have, they're going to have to do something about the outfield because there are four lefties there right now in Duran, Abreu, Yoshida, and Verdugo. And, you know, they also they have they also have Rob Refsnyder signed for another year. Um, they have uh, Sedan Rafaela, who defensively is the best of all of them. You can't keep all of those guys. You can't just hoard left-handed hitting outfielders. Um, so they're going to have to make some kind of a move there. That might be where they get the pitching from. That might be where they get some. It might not even be a starting pitcher, but somebody to help out in the pen. But you got to clear some space there. And I think Merrifield once that space is made is somebody that plugs in really nicely to the 26 man. Yeah. And you want that veteran presence in the clubhouse. I mean, look at the difference Justin Turner made to this team. Obviously baseball wise, he just had one of the best seasons of his career statistically, but just from a presence in leadership standpoint, I mean, there were people saying, you know, he was one of the best clubhouse leaders that this team has ever had. And you need guys like that who have gone through the hardships and know what it's kind of like to really make it in Major League Baseball to help out some of these younger players who are still developing. And Maryfield, I feel like, is somebody who could fall into that category, too, of just a strong veteran presence who just has been around for a while and can help guide some of these younger players as they continue to develop and grow in their careers. Yeah, exactly. And he's, I mean, he's going to be a player that's in very hot demand for that exact reason. Uh, but like, he's somebody that, again, like we're just not hearing that much about that I think would be a very good fit. Yeah, no, I definitely like that. Um, he he is not talked about a lot. And like you said, a lot of Red Sox fans are focused on pitching, which makes sense because that is the biggest need. But he's he could be useful for sure. And he kind of creates some variety in what is a very heavy left-handed hitting lineup right now. So that could be a great, you know, fit possibly for the Red Sox. So we'll see if they pursue it. But coming up, I do want to do some prospect talk with you. You are so good at the prospect talk and being familiar with, um, you know, who has potential and who really doesn't. So you won't want to miss that next. This is a great sports season October, there's so many sports going on with MLB playoffs, football, hockey, and basketball starting up. It's just a great time of year. So what better time of year than to get involved with sports betting? And the best way you can get involved with sports betting today is through FanDuel. You can win so much money on this app. I mean, all the success stories that I've seen of people posting parlays on Twitter and winning all kinds of money through FanDuel. If you want to get involved, FanDuel is the way to go. October baseball is here and you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join FanDuel today and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to create your new account. 
Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who will win the game. And if you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W, predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So head on over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets. Guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. And honestly, I mean, with the World Series coming up and just the caliber of players that we are watching on the field right now, you can definitely bet on things like Kyle Schwarber maybe hitting two home runs in a game because your chances are pretty high of that happening. So you definitely want to head on over to FanDuel and check that out today and use that code locked on. Also, don't forget to download the SiriusXM app for the home broadcast of every Red Sox game. I mean, what better combination than listening to Locked On Red Sox to start your day and then listening to the SiriusXM broadcast at night when you maybe are running around trying to make dinner for your kids and you can't sit down and watch the game in full. That's where you can have SiriusXM playing on your phone while you're doing that other adult stuff that we don't particularly enjoy doing um, and be able to still keep up with the game. So download the app today and get the home broadcast of every game straight to your phone. Also, I mean, the Red Sox now have a great farm system. I mean, you said it earlier on in the episode today, Bloom did do a good job of kind of revamping that farm system and getting some good talent in here at the minor league level. Um, you talked about maybe the Red Sox issuing some trades, which I do agree they will have to move somebody in the outfield. Um, I'm kind of looking at Alex Verdugo as a potential trade candidate, um, which I've mentioned on the show before. Obviously, you can't just trade him straight up. If you want to get a good pitcher, you have to, you know, package in some other players um, to go along with that. Um, we've seen some glimpses of some of these prospects that got to come up in 2023 um, from the players that, you know, or in the Red Sox farm system right now that you've seen and just kind of um, examined, are there any prospects right now that you would say are absolutely unmovable in a trade? Should the Red Sox try to package in some good talented prospects to get some pitching in return? Yeah, there are two for, well, actually it's four really two for very different reasons though. Um, so the first two that are untradeable just because of the, pure talent level there are Kyle Teal, who was their first round draft pick this year and Roman Anthony, who was a comp pick last year, who really took off. Uh, Teal is a catcher and that's the, the, like he's, he's a good player regardless. He's got crazy, crazy good arm, great pop time, good defensive, great personality works well with the pitchers um, and he can hit and just getting a catcher like that at any level is kind of, it's very unusual. The last catcher I think the Red Sox purely developed on their own was, um, I think it was Christian Vasquez. And that was a while ago, but Vasquez was solid, but not spectacular. But having a guy like that, that you can plug in every day and you know what you're going to get is just, it's a blessing. And that's not to say that there's an issue with Connor Wong and Reese McGuire. I actually think they're one of the more unheralded combinations of catchers. But Teal would be Teal if he is anything close to his potential is going to be better. And 
you even see just the depth with catcher. Red Sox didn't really have any this year. Um, when McGuire went down for a month, it was a combination of Jorge Alfaro, who bless him, can hit, but not not great defensively, and Caleb Hamilton, who it was fine defensively, couldn't really hit at the big league level. You don't really want that. You don't want your number nine spot to be a black hole. And you don't want your catcher to be a black hole defensively. So you need a little bit better there. So for that reason, just because you're not going to be able to find a guy like that on free agency, you got to hold on to Teal. Um, And Anthony, you know, he was a high, he was a high draft pick, but the step that he took this year from Salem to Greenville, it's interesting because they promoted him because he was, his eye was too good. Basically, he was just wasn't swinging. He hit like one home run there and he was hitting, you know, close to 200, but he was walking a lot. He just wasn't swinging at pitches he didn't think he could hit. So they brought him up, added a little leverage on his swing and, you know, like told him just like hit, you know, and he went on a tear. And this is as a 19 year old, I think it was like 12 home runs there. They ended up bringing him up to double A for the stretch run him and teal both got brought up on the same day together there teal skyrocketed through the system as well going from uh, from high a to double a so they're both at double a now they're probably going to start the season at double a but that's both within striking distance of the majors um they're both top 100 prospects pretty universally with anthony being a top 50 for a lot of uh, a lot of outlets and that's you know like guys like that you're not unless you're getting really elite talent for that like i mean I don't know, like maybe you do like Anthony for Corbin Burns even up or something like that. But generally, you just don't, you don't move guys like that. Um, and then the other two are Marcelo Meyer and Miguel Blaze. And that's for different reasons. Um, I mean, Meyer, I think everybody, if, if you've heard of a Red Sox prospect, it's probably Meyer. Uh, he's, he was the number four pick in the draft a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's more or less lived up to expectations. The thing was, he got called up to double A this year. And he immediately got hurt, tried to play through it. It didn't go very well. Um, so the numbers at double A for him don't look that good, but he was very young playing there, playing hurt. You're not going to get value for him now after that. He's not at his peak value. There's no point in trading somebody that high when they're at this low. And the same thing goes for Miguel Blaze, who was like a very hyped up uh, international player who got to Salem this year. And he ended up, I think it was in May, he hurt his, he dislocated his shoulder or something like that and ended up missing the entire season. Um, so those are two guys that have high ceilings, but are kind of at their lowest right now. So it doesn't make sense to me to trade them. Anybody else on that list though? Yeah. Like all bets are off as far as trades go. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, Kyle Teal, especially, like how great would it be to have a catcher who's that talented that they developed through their system? Because like you said, there was a pretty blatant hole with the catching and just um, kind of the fill-ins that came in. I do like, you know, the progress that Connor Wong made overall this year. And I think all those reps he got and having to play so many games while McGuire was injured helped with that too. But Kyle Teal to me seems like a generational type of catcher, the type of player who they can really continue to develop through their system and can be that guy who can kind of do both that can hit well and be good defensively, which is just something that I've, you know, dreamed of for a while now. Um, So I, yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, when it comes to these prospects, 
I think Bloom was a little too conservative and protective over keeping prospects. And he was afraid to move some of these guys um, for the talent. But at some point you have to be willing to part ways with some of these players. Cause you also don't know how they are all going to pan out at the major league level either. And it, it's just, it's a hard approach to take doing too much of that. And you want to hold on to your best prospects, but there are guys you can trade and get a good return for them. Um, so I'm definitely with you on that. Um, obviously, we did get to see some players, you know, get called up in 2023 and get a little bit of um, playing time and opportunity to kind of showcase what they can do. Um, from those players, you know, obviously, we don't know who's going to be moved and who's not. But assuming those players are all still here to begin 2024, who do you expect to kind of have um, the biggest season in 2024 out of those guys? That I mean, that's a difficult question because it is good. There is going to be some combination of them that gets moved. Um, the two that I was the most impressed by. And I don't think like this is a controversial take or anything. We're uh, William Abreu and St. on Rafaela. Um, yeah, Abreu. It, it's so funny because he, there was that, there was the trade. We were just talking about Christian Vasquez and there was that trade where it was Emmanuel Valdez and William Abreu and Valdez came up and he can hit, he can definitely hit a little bit, but he's not much of a defensive player and people, you know, are like, Oh, this is the return for him. This is the return for Vasquez. But then you have William Abreu kind of lingering in the minors, and we didn't really get to see him much in spring training because he hurt his hamstring. But I think it was in August. He just went absolutely ballistic. He was just, and he's he was already a pretty solid player. You can put him in any of the three outfield spots. He's got an excellent arm. His approach at the plate is much more similar to Tristan Cassis than people give it credit. He's selective, but he attacks the pitch that he, he attacks. He'll attack his pitch. He won't just take a pitch for the sake of it. He just works counts deep. And you know, you're going to see a lot of strikeouts because of that, but you're also going to see a lot of walks and he's got power. Um, we saw that a little bit in the majors, but he hit, I think it was something like 22 homers in the, in triple. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but he's, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. And I just remember that first at bat that he had against Houston. I think he was up against Justin Verlander. He, he ended up striking out, but he brought him to a full count. And he just was not phased by it in the slightest like at all. He just seemed to, you know, it was just like just another at bat for the guy. And, you know, he ended up going off a bit in that series. He ended up going off for, you know, most of the end of the season. I think if you go statistically, he had the most impressive year of any of those like late season call-ups. Um yeah. So he's somebody that I think is getting underlooked. I actually would be perfectly comfortable if they traded uh, Verdugo starting him in right field. I would be completely comfortable with him. Um, the other one is Rafaela, who is one of these athletes that you can just kind of put him anywhere and he'll figure it out. Um, I love that about him. Yeah. No, like he said he can play center field. People, people are talking about like, oh, like I don't like him moving positions around. Like they tried that with Kike. He's not Kike Hernandez. You know, he played shortstop at least once a week at every level going up. He came up, he was playing a lot of second base. And if you can handle shortstop, you can handle second base. The question is just where are you going to be able to put him right now? Center field's his best position. He's, we've been so spoiled in Boston with just good center fielders until recently, whether it's, um, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury, Jackie Bradley Jr. It's just been like very impressive uh, center fielders. And he could be the next guy that we add to that list. Um, his approach, you know, he's very aggressive. 
he has like freakishly good hand-eye coordination. He is able to make contact with pitches he has no business making contact with, which sounds good, but then you end up making weak contact and grounding out to uh to se- to second base or something. Um so that's something that they tried to work on with him a bit in the minors this year. He he started at double A. They were like, hey, maybe back off on being so aggressive. And he didn't really hit very well with that. So they they started telling him to just swing again. And, you know, he hit well enough to get promoted to triple A, hit well enough to get promoted to the majors. And he hit okay at the majors. He's got he's he's a little guy. I think he's listed at five seven or five eight. But he has a surprising amount of power for that. He gets like he he's got a nice swing and he can hit to all fields. Um, he's fast. I don't know if he's the best base stealer, but he's very fast, and that's you know like that athleticism is good. Strong arm. He's a really useful player to have. Um, I don't know, you know, like I'm sure you heard the comps to Mookie Betts. I don't think that that's fair for anybody to be compared to Mookie Betts. I think they're very different types of players. But, I mean, that's a big leaguer right now. That's somebody that is going to be able to help a big league club, be it like in a Kike Hernandez-type role where he's switching positions, um, be it as your starting center fielder. Um, there's going to be some slumps there. He's going to go into his slumps where it's just not working, but he's also you know, going to get hot. We've seen that with guys like Jackie Bradley before. When they're good, they're really, really good, and when they're not hitting, they're they're not hitting. But the defense compensates. And the defense is very real for him. So th- those are the two that I think could make impacts um, immediately. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Abreu. I think he's been super underrated. Um, and I think he just made a big splash uh, when he got here. And he showed that he wasn't afraid to be aggressive at the plate, but also display that plate discipline, um, which you don't always see in young prospects. Like you kind of mentioned with Rafaela, how sometimes he just gets too excited and kind of just swings at whatever. Uh, so he needs to work on that a little bit. But I am excited to see the growth of those two, assuming they are still you know, on the roster come 2024, because they could bring in somebody who just moves everybody. So we don't really know, you know, what's going to happen, but I would like to see them both still on the roster. And I think they both bring a lot to the table. Um, But Ed, this was awesome. I really appreciate you hopping on here and joining me. Everybody definitely follow him on Twitter at edhand89 and check out all of his content. He does so many podcasts and he is just always doing a great job of breaking things down so that, you know, people really understand um, these players. And there's so much more to them than just some stats that are on a paper. And there's just so much to look at with how these players play. So he'll do a great job of giving you just a really good unbiased perspective on um, different things with these players. And it was just an absolute pleasure having you uh, on here with me. Yeah, always, always happy to come on. Um, if you wouldn't mind me plugging something really quickly, I've been doing a uh, show with um, Andrew Parker, who I met covering the Blue Sox this season. It's just us chatting with uh, different personalities and different players. It's called To The Show We Go. You can follow it at To The Show We Go. Um going to be talking to Hunter Dobbins, who is um, a double-A prospect later today. We've had um, a lot of draft picks. We had Rob Bradford on a couple weeks ago. We had Lou Merloni last week. So we're getting getting some decent names on it and just trying to just chat ball with the players and the people who are talking about it. And that's sort of been my big off-season project. So if you want to follow us there, that'd be awesome. At the show we go, or to the show we go. 
Well, everyone definitely check that out. That seems super cool. And follow him on Twitter. And like I always say, just try your best to keep the faith. Um, let's go Red Sox as always. And I will catch you next time.